The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. I want to talk with you about the indwelling Jesus. The greatest desire of my heart is to be fully indwelt by Jesus Christ. To have the Father and the Son come and make their home in my life in complete power. That's promised in John 14, 23. The promise is there. The fulfillment of that promise, we must stand and wait for. And we must meet the conditions for that promise to be fulfilled. Now, I'd like to share some things with you tonight that may be absolutely new to you. Let's go first to Matthew, the third chapter. We find John the Baptist has come. And he is preaching out in the wilderness. And people have begun to flow out to the wilderness. I'm sure the first caravan of camels that were stopped by this man in his prophet's garb of camel hair thought they had seen a lunatic. But as they listened to his preaching, conviction fell upon them. And when they went into Jerusalem, they told about this prophet from ancient times, who was preaching in the desert. And crowds began to go out to listen to this man, John the Baptist. Of course, his name was not Baptist. He was the baptizer. That's why they called him the Baptist. He put him in the Jordan River. And he baptized them for the forgiveness of their sins and the washing away of their sins to leave their wicked ways and turn totally toward the God of heaven in preparation for the coming of Messiah. Chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. 
Repentance is literally the removal of your sin. It's not just saying, I forgive you. It's your sins are as though they never were. I have taken them from you. I have lifted them off from you. You are free. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why fire? Because there was a lot of underbrush in their lives that had to be burned out. Entirely sanctified, made holy. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John is saying that Jesus is going to come, and he is going to preach with great power. He is going to take his winnowing fork. He's going to scoop that grain up, and he's going to throw it against the wall. He's going to separate the chaff from the wheat. Now we have a description of what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. Doesn't sound too comfortable, does it? He wants to separate from us the chaff. It's going to be burned. He wants to gather his people into his barn. So all the way now through the New Testament, the whole focus of the New Testament is God's dealing with sin so as to remove it from his people to take them home to dwell with him. Now he comes to John to be baptized and John tries to deter him. John knows he is God, the son of God. But he's trying to tell God how he's supposed to do things. I don't want to try to tell Jesus how he's supposed to do a revival. It's up to him to do it the way he chooses. I'm simply to be faithful and stand, though it looks utterly foolish and hopeless. I'm to stand and believe that the word of God is true. That he's going to bring revival. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So there is something about righteousness that has to be fulfilled. Jesus has no sins to be remitted. He is a sinless son of God. But he is to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. All righteousness is fulfilled in Jesus' life. And as he is coming up out of the water, the dove descends and lights on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Now I just shared with you that he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and in fire. How old is Jesus at this point? About 30 years old, right? Up to this point, Scripture does not indicate that Jesus performed one miracle. Jesus did not draw one disciple. He held no public meetings. He has lived with his family 
functioning as a working man, a craftsman. The word in the Greek is really not for wood carpentry. It is for stone masonry. Jesus was a stone mason. It was hard work. So here we have Jesus either in some kind of wood carpentry. It could be partially that, but probably much more stone masonry. We have now Jesus, a man of sorrows, a man mistreated and scorned by his brothers, and not one record of any miracle being done. So for 30 years, he's on the earth, and he works no miracles. In fact, he can do no miracle. Because he can only do what the Father tells him to do. He is empowered only by the Holy Spirit to functionally heal the sick and raise the dead. He does not do this on his own. And so for 30 years he has lived now not doing anything in the way of the miraculous, not gathering crowds, not preaching, because he had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Let me show you. If you go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, I'm going to begin with verse 1 to get the context. I am the true vine, my father is the gardener, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So according to Jesus, if a man is not baptized by the Holy Spirit, he can't do anything productive for the kingdom of God. Let that sink in a moment. What can a pastor do who is not baptized in the Spirit? Now, let's be clear about what I mean. Every Christian has been given the gift, according to Ephesians, the first chapter, of the seal of the Holy Spirit. He's quickened our hearts. He's caused us to repent of our sin. We are converted We become one with Jesus. We have the power now to no longer walk in sin or degradation. We have been washed by the blood. We have been made new. We are not the same old. We have been born from above. That's conversion. That's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So most today have that initial experience of a possible conversion. 
But most in the church have said it will take me the rest of my life to be born of God. If a baby takes forever to be born and the focus of a person's life is only on their spiritual well-being, we know a mother and baby would both die. A birthing has a beginning and an end. The umbilical cord is cut. The child begins to breathe on its own. And so we, coming from Christ, have the work of conversion finished. We no longer walk in sin. It's done. And now as we walk that out, we mature in Christ. But until the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, we will be ineffective in our ministry. So we will speak to people and the words will fall to the ground. A pastor can keep the machinery of the church going. A pastor can manage programs. He can come up with new ideas. He can chair meetings. He can do personal witness. But you will not see added to the church daily those who should be saved because he's not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He has no power. And the people in the church will share with a neighbor or with a family friend or with a a relative. And that person may or may not come and be a part of the body of Christ. Most of the time will not come. Because they have no power, no baptism of the Holy Spirit. And without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all we can focus on is our own spiritual life in Christ. Because there's no power for witness or ministry. And we see this across the board in the church today. Where churches have said, okay, we can't really do much work without a band. We need to get the entertainment cranked up. We need to get the emotions cranked up. We need to do this program. We need to have a a watermelon feast. We need to have a social here. We need to have a concert. We need to have a special speaker. And why is all of this necessary? It's all necessary because there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no power. And so if there's no power, then we have to use flesh means to accomplish the work of the gospel of Jesus. I'm not interested anymore in flesh means of promoting the gospel of Jesus. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to move to save the lost and the dying. In one account, a young woman under Maria Edder's ministry, 16 years old, became very convicted, turned her life over to Jesus, and immediately had the power of the Holy Spirit fall upon her. And she went out from that meeting and began to speak to her friends. And in one day, 70 young people received Jesus And had their lives totally transformed. You know, there's nothing so boring to me as to go fishing when there are no fish caught. 
I have more than one occasion thrown my fishing pole down and said, I am never going to go fishing again. All the fish have been caught. That wasn't true at all. It was the bait I was using. Because somebody else came and they began to fish and they began to pull the fish out. Now, I'm not a fisherman of fish. I'm a fisherman of men and women for Jesus Christ. I want Jesus and his power. You see, Jesus, the sinless son of God, could do no miracles for the first 30 years of his life. But when the anointing power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, everything was transformed. Everything was changed. The Spirit of God began to cast demons out. And it's interesting to me to note that Jesus deals with sickness as though it were demonic. Now, I'm not going to say that all sickness is demonic, but I am going to say that Jesus in the New Testament deals with almost every case of sickness as though there were a demonic presence involved in bringing that sickness on that person. And when he rebuked that sickness, it fled and the person was set free and they were healed. Now, I want you to go with me to Luke, the 11th chapter. I'm going to just read a section of scripture. Please follow along and then we're going to talk about it. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We know that as our Father. It's probably the most dangerous portion of Scripture in the entire Bible. Because when we pray that, we are saying, we don't want our will anymore. We want your will, Father. And we're asking now that you will bring to pass your will in our lives. Okay, what is the will of God in our life? He doesn't leave us to guess. He tells us what his will is. Let me share it with you. He said to them, suppose one of you had a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you the truth, though. He will get up and give him the bread, because, not because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give to him as much as he needs. Hmm? So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks the door will be opened. Most times you'll hear the 11th chapter preached on. They will take one small section. They'll take the Lord's Prayer. Let's teach the Lord's Prayer. Or they'll take this story and they'll say, Now ask the Lord for what you want. 
Seek what you want. Knock on the door. God will answer your prayer. That's not what it's saying. You have to read the context of the passage. Even the Lord's prayer in context must be used the way the Lord is directing it to be used. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the context for the Lord's Prayer, for the story of the importunate, the man who needs bread, And the ask, knock, and seek, all of that is in the context of asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give his people the Holy Spirit. And so you have, I'm converted, I receive Jesus Christ, I renounce my sins, I am transformed into a new creature, I'm set free. What's to happen next? I'm to be baptized by the Holy Spirit so I have the power to go witness and testify and share what Jesus has done for me. I've been in so many meetings where I have asked the people, would you stand and just quickly share what God has done for you? And silence has reigned. Nobody wanted to talk. Why? Because God hadn't done anything for him that week, except maybe help him find a parking place or some other inconsequential situation. They had not witnessed the glory of being forgiven for sins and, and the darkness taken away and the testimony borne to other people. I've often said to people sitting in church, look around you. Look around you in church. Where is your flock? Where are the people sitting around you that you bore witness to and by the power of the Spirit brought them to Jesus Christ and to the foot of the cross? Well, you know, I've been through all of the church growth seminars and and Dr. Kennedy's program of evangelism and the classes on evangelism, you know what? Long term, they don't work. They're just another busy program for the pastor and the church to make it look like they're doing something. Until the power of the Holy Spirit comes, until the baptism of the Spirit comes, we're powerless. We can crank up the programs. We can bring in the band. We can shout and holler, but until the Holy Spirit comes, we're not going to be successful against the powers of darkness and the gates of hell, and they will withstand us. And in America, we're being withstood by the gates of hell. Every kind of wickedness is happening in the church and out of the church. Violence, pornography, every kind of Every kind of wicked thing. I don't want to name it all. It's too filthy. And the church seems powerless in the face of this. Because the pastor and the people 
have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some people will say to me, but pastor, I have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you have. If you're a Christian, to be converted, to be changed. You may even speak in tongues. But if you have no power to win the lost, you've not been baptized for power in the Holy Spirit. I go by what a person does, not by what they say. Don't tell me you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I say, have you won anyone to Jesus? Well, no. Do you witness? Oh, yes, all the time. But no success. No Holy Spirit. No power. When God comes, he brings power. He defeats the devil. He turns him back at the gate. And he saves and transforms that person's life. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the question is, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit by meeting the conditions for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the conditions are, we must be converted and we must leave our sin. We must turn away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We no longer love the world. We no longer love the things of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. We've turned away from that. And Jesus has captured our hearts. And we love him with all of our being. And then we wait upon the Lord for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you that in the scriptures. Go with me to the book of Acts. And we're going to go to the second chapter. You remember Jesus told the disciples to wait to be endued with power. And so until Pentecost came, they spent that time in prayer. They did not go about their jobs as normal. Instead, they sought the Lord God of heaven. They earnestly desired the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, Acts, the second chapter, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now when the crowds heard the mighty rushing wind, they came from everywhere to see what had happened. And Peter stood up, and he began to preach to them. He went straight for the heart. Therefore let, and this is chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So before a church, before a pastor, before a person can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
If there is any known sin in that person's life, it has to be dealt with. If there is a lust for the things of the world, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will not come on that person. If you fill your heart with the television, if you fill your heart with the video games, if you fill your heart with the wickedness of this earth, the Holy Spirit baptism will not come upon you and you will not receive this awesome gift. You will be powerless in the face of the devil. But if you do repent, and to repent means very simply to turn aside to go another direction, to change your ways. It means to not do what you normally do when you go home, but to get with Jesus. It means to focus on Jesus. It means to be given to Jesus. You repent, you turn aside. It is an action. To repent is an action. To repent of unbelief, to repent of depression and discouragement. To stand by faith and say, this is wrong. I know it is wrong. The Holy Spirit has told me it's wrong. It goes against the word of God. I'm not going to go there. I was faced this last week with a decision. Some of you know this. A friend won a very large sum of money. $8.7 million dollars. On a Powerball lotto, $175,000 a month for one year and a brand new car. First thing they did, called and said, Pastor, I want to write a check every month to you to help with the cost of radio. A large sum. My initial response was, well, money is money, right? Does it matter where money comes from? But as I thought and prayed... That check in my spirit. Don't take dirty money. Don't receive it. So I said, no. I cannot receive it. You cannot receive money? No, I cannot. Not if it's dirty money. In the Old Testament, blood money was not accepted. Money from prostitutes was not accepted in the temple. You could not pay tithe if you were a prostitute. Would anyone question whether gambling is a social ill? Would anyone question whether gambling has caused countless numbers of families to be deprived of the basic essentials of life? How could I preach against the evils of gambling and then with my other hand take gambling money? Many people think it's nothing to go to the lotto and play it. What's well, only $2? For the Powerball, only $2. I've talked with people who have come to me as pastor and said, Pastor, my husband gambled all of our money this week. I can't pay the house payment. What am I going to do? And I pulled out a checkbook and I wrote their mortgage from the church account. And I said, no, don't let your husband have access to your money anymore. Separate it. Next month, she came back again and said, Pastor, I didn't do what you told me to do. And I and the children are going to be put out on the street if I can't pay this. All right. I wrote out another check. And I said, no, that's it. You take action. 
and you stop this gambling in your family. I've seen families go hungry because of gambling with the lotto, with online gambling. You see, we have to start making those decisions, clearly making decisions to leave the wrong and turn to the right. If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about a specific issue, or if godly men and women have been speaking to you about an issue, quickly repent and turn from it. Because you cannot receive the Holy Spirit walking in that sin. You have to be clean in spirit before he'll come and indwell you. He will not come to a man or woman walking in rebellion against him. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, that means everything of mine has to be moved out. One pastor did it in a very dramatic way. He began, without saying anything to the congregation, he began to carry the chairs out of this area, set them outside. Everything in this area, he moved it out and put it out here. Then he took his Bible, and he put his Bible right here on the altar. If you want the Holy Spirit, everything has to be moved out of your life. And this Bible has to be on the altar. And everything will belong to Jesus. You can't fill your house with junk and expect the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. Now, you can be very religious. You can attend services regularly. You can keep the church calendar. You can pay your tithes and offerings. You can do all kinds of things to be very religious and serve God. But the Holy Spirit will not come to you. And you will be left barren. You will be left without the presence of God in your life. Because you will not allow God to wash you clean of all sin. Sin is the issue that blocks the presence of the Holy Spirit in a church or in a pastor. Now I have a confession to make. I have not sufficiently considered the need for the Holy Spirit Because as my ministry has gone forward through the years, I have run the church machinery. I have run the programs. I've done all that was necessary for the church to prosper. And I've pastored in some very large congregations, mega churches. But we had no power. And I finally said to my board, you know what? God is not in what we're doing. We're making our plans, and then we're asking God to come and bless them. But there are plans. And then we ensure with money and time and effort and with careful planning that our plans are executed properly and are successful. And it had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, and God was not in it. But everybody said, look what God has done. No, God was not even a part of it. It was all flesh. It was show. It was put on. Well, your life can be that way. You can be a good husband. You can be a good wife. You can be a good auntie. You can go to work. You can earn the money. You can take care of business without the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do the things Americans do. But if you want to be successful in the work of the kingdom of God... 
you're going to have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in power. I am now crying out, finally, for that baptism, and he has promised me it will come. And when it comes, you will see revival. So I'm not better than anyone else. I've had to humble my heart before God and now before you and say, I must have the Lord God of heaven and his baptism. And I pray the one thing you get out of this meeting tonight is the urgency of the Holy Spirit for you to prepare for his coming in power into your life. There is really nothing else that matters. There is nothing else that matters. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you cannot live that victorious Christian life in witness and ministry. It is the prerequisite. It is the necessity. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember I said a minute ago, we would come back to that John 14, 15 passage where it talks about Jesus saying, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. In other words, the disciples were converted. They were Christians. They were followers of Jesus, but they were powerless They had received a temporary portion of the Spirit to go out two by two and exercise that power and work miracles. But it was not a constant staying power. They're told to wait. And they waited until Pentecost. And the power of the Spirit was poured out. And it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You cannot baptize yourself. And you cannot earn this gift. It is a gift that comes with healing for both the body and the soul. It's called the double blessing. Because with it, a person is converted. And in the normal course of the church, in the New Testament church, a man is converted. He repents of his sin. He is made clean. He is made into a new person. And immediately he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes out in power. And so daily the church was adding those who were being saved. It was explosive power in one generation. The whole world learned about Jesus Christ. The whole then known world in one generation. Today we're half converted and told you can still walk in your sin and be saved. Jesus understands. He covers you with his grace. And there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the pastor usually is not baptized either. Frankly, I don't know of one pastor today in America who is baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we go to Argentina, yep, you can find quite a number there. If you go to China, you can find quite a few there. You go to Africa, you can find a lot of them there. In America, I don't know of one man or woman who is baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit because we've been given over to materialism and education, to logic, and to lust. I don't know if that's terrifying to you. It is to me. I love America, and I want to see this nation turn from its wicked ways. But it's not going to turn until you and I identify those areas of rebellion in our life, and we 
walk away from them, we quit sinning and we receive the healing of Jesus Christ in our bodies and in our souls. And now we're eligible for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not you might. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for every Christian person. It's for you. The fullness of the baptism is for you. Let that sink into your heart. The the Holy Spirit calls us out of darkness, out of sin, out of destruction for a purpose. He wants to baptize us. And he wants to send us out to win others for Jesus. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's you and me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. Not this make-believe baptism where you come up to the front and the pastor prays over you and gives you a little nudge and you fall down and they cover you with a cloth. And they tell you you're soaking now in the Spirit. Lay on the floor and soak in the Spirit. All of that is centered around me. That's for my spiritual journey. The Holy Spirit says, come on out of that. That's immaturity. Come up to the power. Let the full baptism come on your life so that you can witness and testify for Jesus. You can heal the sick. You can raise the dead. All of that is for all of us. These gifts are for now. Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The gift of the Spirit is for today. It's for you. And then in chapter 3, the crippled man is healed. They're confronted with their sin. And then in verse 19, he says, repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. See, if you don't deal with your sin, if your sin is not wiped out, it doesn't matter how religious you are. If you're not made righteous by faith, not by works, Jesus makes us righteous. The sin is simply gone. If we'll confess it and renounce it and let Jesus take it, he will remove every bondage. Oh, but pastor, I just can't let go of this sin. No, because you love it. You love it more than you love Jesus. You don't want to surrender. That's why you won't let go of it. If you're willing to quit your sin... You are eligible for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he will come in power upon your life. Now, if you look with me quickly, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the indwelling Jesus. He can only indwell you by the power of the Spirit. And without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the fullness of Jesus dwelling in your heart. So the call is to take our eyes off this world and the things of this world, including religion, and get right with Jesus and get clean with him, be washed by him. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? You want your family saved? Your wife or your husband? You want relatives to be saved? Then you have to come up to faith and believe that Jesus will do this for you. But if you're walking in sin, he will not do it for you. If you do not believe that he will do it, he will not do it for you. The miracle-working power of Jesus is by faith in Jesus Christ. As we trust him, he will move in power on our behalf. So one of the things that we Americans have to go to him and confess is our unbelief, our slowness of heart. And we must confess to him the things we have loved that have taken our time, attention, and money when Jesus wants it all for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is jealous for your love, for your heart. He loves you. He gave himself for you. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but you will know him, for he will dwell in you. Now if you look at verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. This is reality. He wants to come and live with you. He wants to come and live in you. But you have to move out or he will not move in. You have to give yourself totally into his hand and let him reshape your life and your understandings. If you're like I am, you were taught many things that are false. I was told by a wonderful nationally known pastor, when I asked him, would you pray for me that I could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He said to me, no, Ray, I can't do that for you. I said, why not? Because I haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he said to me, you have to do the same thing I've done. Go in the strength of the anointing you have. He lied to me. I'm not to go in the strength of the anointing I have. I'm to go in the power of the Spirit. And because he didn't have it, he couldn't tell me how to receive it. It's not hard to understand. It's not rocket science. You receive the Spirit of God by repenting and turning from your wicked ways and asking Jesus to come and wash and cleanse you. And you submit to him. You leave your sin. And you're baptized. Conversion is not gradual. 
Some people stretch conversion out for years. It is not gradual. Conversion in scripture is instantaneous. All the great revivalists of the past, John Bunyan, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Charles Finney, they all taught the same thing. That conversion is instantaneous. That it's not a long drawn out process. People have said, oh, you're going to spend the rest of your life being sanctified. No, if you mean leaving my sin, I'm not. If you mean by that, I'm going to spend the rest of my life growing up in Jesus. Yes, you're going to grow in Jesus, in maturity. Immaturity is not a sin. Sin is rebellion against God. And now, this classic passage. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Have you borne fruit for God? If not, it is only by God's grace that you have not yet been cut off. But you don't know how much time you have left. There is an urgency in the scripture. You must turn from your sin tonight. You are not promised tomorrow. You may go out of this house tonight and be dead by midnight. You are not promised tomorrow. Nothing is more important than making our peace with God, leaving our sin, making no more excuses, facing the reality that uncleanness is not acceptable before God. Every branch that bears no fruit will be cut off, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean. He's speaking to the disciples because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. In other words, they've already been brought in. They were brought in because they were clean. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branch. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Have you borne much fruit? And my answer is no, I haven't. And it's terrifying. And I know why I haven't. Because I've not yet received the baptism in the full power of Pentecost. And I must receive that. I must receive that. So I'm not putting myself up and you down. I'm saying you must receive it too. We must all receive it, for we are all responsible for the work of the gospel. And there's no excuses to be made. If you are cut off and burned, you are lost. You are sent to hell. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I have to ask, please, what have you been able to do for Jesus so far for the work of his kingdom? I've been able to do very little, and I've worked hard at it all my life. I've used every human energy, strained to the point of almost dying of weariness. I haven't been able to produce very much here and there. One has come. Praise God for that. Preaching. Five to six, sometimes seven sermons a week. 
produce very little. What have you produced? What have you produced for the kingdom of God? You'll continue to produce about the same amount unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not willing to continue in ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm seeking him with all of my heart. I'm standing by faith. And he has assured me, he is sending the Holy Spirit that I'm to wait on him for that baptism. And so I come to this place with only a handful of dear, lovely people to preach the word as I can in the weakness without the Spirit. We need this to change. It's not going to change without the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. What do you have to testify of tonight? I don't have much to testify about except his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his inexpressible love. What do you have to testify about tonight? I'm going to stand by faith for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to turn aside as we wait from every sin and every darkness in our hearts. We're going to wait on Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Joy with